Welcome to Markets Plus, where leading experts from across BMO discuss factors shaping the markets, economy, industry sectors, and much more. Visit bmocm.com slash markets plus for more episodes. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. In this episode from Views from the North, host Ben Reitzes is joined by Sam Buckley, head of BMO's Government of Canada trading desk, to discuss the Bank of Canada's latest rate hike and how much more we can expect, the extreme inversion in the Canadian yield curve, how the second half of the year could evolve, and his favorite trade ideas. Let's take a listen. Sam, welcome back. I think the last time you were on was January when the bank had just paused and now they've just hiked, so very convenient. Thanks a lot for having me back, Ben. Uh, yeah, lots changed uh, from January to March, and then from March to uh, to June again. Feels like we've been uh, around the sun a couple of times since then. Lots has happened for sure, and and the uh, hiccup in the U.S. on the regional banking side uh, clearly made some waves, but that that's passed now, and we're back to rate hikes. And so the bank lifted rates twenty five beeps in in June, and we're expecting another twenty five basis points in July. A few reasons for that. One, I guess, firstly, I should say, it is still data dependent. We get uh, CPI next week. There's a business outlook survey still to come also next week. Uh, and then there's another jobs report, and we get all that before the bank. And so if it's if it's uniformly bad data, that could change things. But skeptical of that at the moment. I'm getting, getting a pretty decent uh, reading for CPI at the moment. We'll see if that changes. But my, my preliminary forecast is, is pretty solid especially on the core front. So that that just reinforces the uh, bias for further hikes. And, and this morning's retail sales report was was pretty strong, even if the volumes were, were not huge. Uh, the fact that consumers are still willing to shell out money, uh, even if it's for, for not necessarily more stuff, uh, that, that just signifies how strong the consumer backdrop is at the moment. And uh, that is one of the things that, that the Bank Canada highlighted in their in their policy statement. And in the minutes that we got this afternoon, uh, it's Wednesday, the 21st at, at 4.30 at the moment. So we got the minutes earlier this afternoon and and they highlighted consumer spending strength and housing strength and just broader economic resilience. And, and we don't see any signs that that's faded at all. So if Sam was, was with a client yesterday on a rooftop patio bar type thing at a hotel at 2 30 in the afternoon on a tuesday on a tuesday and it could not have been more busy um yeah it's uh things are good at least in toronto at least in this downtown core things are good there's a couple restaurants been to in the past few weeks on a monday and tuesday and uh completely booked up yeah and and the rooftop patio yesterday that was uh that was all booked up too so yeah i I think that i mean the bank of canada has obviously seen something and, and the data has been quite resilient. Um, housing has been very resilient too. So, I mean, you can't really fault them for, for hiking again or hiking again in the future. I think we have almost two more hikes priced in by the end of the year. And I mean, I think it's going to take a catalyst to change that narrative from happening um, rather than uh, rather than something to change to, to make the market pricing uh, hike. Um, yeah, I, I think that right now in the market anyway, the biggest thing for us would be positioning. Um, I don't think anyone's really expected this, especially after the, the regional banking crisis that Ben mentioned earlier. I don't think anyone really anticipated the Bank of Canada restarting after the pause after this. I think a lot of accounts and people loaded into steepeners um, and this continued bear flattening is not uh, not let up at all, especially with uh, this morning the UK having a, 
higher CPI numbers as well. And I mean, the Canada curve uh, is quite inverted relative to, to the other developed markets. But that being said, it's still it's still a pain trade um, until we get a catalyst to change that, whether it's monetary policy. Well, it's only going to be monetary policy, actually. Um, that it's really going to change that because supply doesn't seem to do anything. So I, I think until we get that catalyst to change the bank's narrative, I don't th- see the curve uh, curve steepening at all, really, anytime soon. Um, there's just too many people in steepeners. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing that have kind of been taken away since the bank's uh, the bank's surprise hike, which wasn't really a surprise because it was 50-50, but you would never have guessed that by the market reaction. Clearly, positioning was uh, was an issue there, um, and it hasn't let up at all. I think today we hit the the high yield in, in Canadian twos, um, where long bonds really haven't moved all that much at all. Um, so I think that as we get to these higher yield levels, especially if we keep drifting higher in yield, which um, I'd say with the algos having control of the market a little bit here, it seems like we're going to keep getting higher yields again unless we see a catalyst to change that. And that, to me, just means more picking away further up the curve from uh, insurance, pension, other asset managers that have LDI mandates. And then twos will just continue to drift higher in yield until something changes. You, you mentioned catalyst, and that that's something I've been been saying uh, for a, a few weeks now. Just just a lack of a catalyst to change that that narrative, and it, it's hard to see one. I mean, it, go back to the start of the year, and and the catalyst that it took to to drive rate cut expectations was was the regional banking crisis, which I'm pretty sure nobody saw coming at that that time. Uh, and so you'll need something like that at the moment, and uh, in, in the near term at least, to to drive in any kind of real material steeping the curve. If things just evolve and, and there's no real uh, surprise negative shock, we probably continue to grind flatter. Uh, and that that's going to probably cause, again, as you mentioned, continued pain in the market. And and, and that that's the probably most likely path forward. I mean, we are extremely inverted. So I think a, a big move here, probably not quite as likely. Uh, but again, there's no, there just isn't that big catalyst for steepening. So we're, we're going to have to sit here and wait and Maybe the Bank of Canada hikes us into recession. Maybe the Fed does the same thing in the U.S. That's not going to happen imminently, though. Like if, if they hike again, uh, 25 beeps in July, that puts us at, at 5%. That's a big number. Uh, I think part of the reason why everyone's been so skeptical the bank could continue is because they were skeptical in the first place. The bank could get to 4% uh, or even 3% if you go, go back a year or two. And now at 5%, still skeptical. But the reality is is, is if you look at the numbers then and – just, just looking at by mortgages. So, the, if you think about it this way, the the most rate sensitive part of the economy should be housing and people who have mortgages. And so, if in any given year only twenty percent of mortgages roll over, and only about a third of households even have mortgages, a little bit more than that, but let's just call it a third, uh, you're only impacting a very small share of the population in any given year, uh, and it takes time for all this to pass through. So, to have a large enough impact when you have so much money sloshing around. When you have wage growth as strong as it is, when you still have some savings in, in people's bank accounts from from the pandemic, and and just an appetite to spend, people are are still uh, to some extent revenge spending, uh, maybe not to the extent they were, but it's still there. Uh, there's still strength in travel spending. There's still strength in restaurant and entertainment and recreation and all that. Uh, that that's been pretty consistent and hasn't faded hugely yet. As long as that's the case rates are going to take time to have an impact. And if the bank really wants to slow the economy and really wants to slow inflation fast, the only way to do that is to, to continue to jack rates higher. So 25 in July makes sense. After that, I don't know. I personally fear for what will come in 2024, 2025 for all those mortgages that do roll over. I just feel bad for 
uh, folks that that have renewals coming. So I don't, I don't know if the bank feels that way, but I do. So I'm, I think that risk is there. But I think at the same time, maybe the bank just hikes it and then they leave the door open clearly instead of pulling a January and pausing or, or conditional pausing. Uh, they just leave it wide open and the market continues to price something every meeting, but they just don't ever go. And you kind of eliminate the risk that people are like, oh, well, the bank's done. Let's jump right back into the housing market. You get rid of that dynamic. Maybe, maybe, maybe that buys them a little bit more time to wait versus what they've done in January and seeing housing mounts back and seeing consumption stay strong and all that. So I I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll have to go to more rooftop patio, bar, poolside, swimsuit-clad people and, and, and places to see uh, what, what goes on there. We talked about the curve. I mean, do you think it can go more inverted? Two's, two's tens is at neg 125. Uh, tens, 30s is minus 16, 17, give or take. Five's, tens is minus 30, 30-ish. Four and a half, 30, something 30, like 35. that. 35. Yeah. Can we, I mean, is it, is, am, am I right? Like, do you agree with me that, that, if we flatten more, it's probably a grind. It's not going to be a huge move because we we do have two more hikes almost priced at this point, and yep. and this is hard to keep going from like we're extreme. Yeah, we're starting to see accounts kind of fade this a lot more than we have, I would say, in the past couple months, uh, especially in tens bonds. Um, kind of minus twenty has been the the resistance level there. I think it's almost hit it twice, once a year ago, and then uh, almost once a little while ago. Um, so I, I could see more people starting to fade it. Um, that being said, we do have uh, a, what's shaping up to be an okay month end, uh, which will be supportive of, of the long end especially. Um, and also there's a, f- a number of accounts that will have to do their uh, June index rebalancings at the end of the month. Uh, some international accounts do that. So that will also be very supportive, I would say, of the long end. Um, but that being said, I mean, I, I think you're also getting to the point, like we talked about, where you're seeing a decent amount of accounts line up to start to, to sell. Can we go flatter? Yeah, absolutely. And I, but I do agree. Like, it's not going to be a shock um, where it's 10 basis points, knee-jerk reactions like it was when the bank hiked. Um, I think it'll be a slow grind just based off of flows and kind of the, the summer drift. I mean, someone that I used to work for always said that uh, summertime causes the most pain for the most people due to a lack of liquidity. So I think the most pain for the most people is still probably a flatter curve. So, yeah, I think that it could be a slow grind. Uh barring the absence of that catalyst that we we talked about. Um, back to the bank, I think you mentioned whether or not the bank cares about hurting the renewal people. I think that one thing that the bank is very aware of is how much housing is actually ramped up price-wise and how much wealth has been created from that. Um, no other people are, are spending that wealth creation or not. Um, they still have, I would say, a decent amount of cushion on that asset that they bought. Whenever they bought it at this point, it's higher. So I think the bank is also aware of that. It's like feeling bad for people who bought uh, Apple 10 years ago. If it goes down I, 10% I don't feel bad or something. for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think that the bank is is aware of that. And I, I think that there's a little bit, not a lack of hesitation to, to go. I think it's still front page of the paper risk. Um, and I think that Inflation is hurting the most vulnerable of our population. And I think they're very aware of that. So I think they're going to do what they can to, to help that segment of the population. And if, like you said, it's a small amount of people every year, percentage-wise in the population, that these hikes are really affecting, I think they're probably going to be okay with that risk-reward to get inflation under control. And spending under control. Like, you go everywhere. All the time, people are out spending money, whether it's restaurants, whether it's stores, whether it's entertainment events. I mean, look look what the city of Toronto was doing when the Leafs were in the playoffs. It feels like ages ago now, but I mean, everything was uh, 
everything was happening. So, yeah, I, I don't think there'll be a huge hesitation on their part. And so they actually start to see some cracks, which we haven't seen any cracks, really. No, there have not been, not many. I mean, there, there's there's occasional things that come up, like insolvencies rose a lot in March, but then they kind of fell back in April. So uh, maybe, maybe a false false sign there. And no, nothing consistent, I guess, would be the way to put it. Uh, job growth has slowed, but if you look at the last month, the details were not nearly as bad as, as the headline suggests. All the losses were, were in youth uh, and, and really just, just a lackluster summer job market, whereas the, the core of the workforce 25 to 54 saw really good job gains. So we'll, we'll see what the next job report brings. But that one, that was not a, a particularly soft reading, despite what the headline suggests. So things have held in pretty good. And, and something there is something the bank mentioned in the minutes is that Q1 growth beat their forecast. Uh, and there it looks as though the way the second quarter is shaping up, that might also beat their forecast. And the bank's models are, are and, and their inflation forecast is, is driven by how much output gap they have, how much, how large the positive output gap is. And if growth is beating their forecast, it's it's going to be more positive than they have in their forecast, which means inflation is higher in turn. So uh, they need to see growth consistently slow and be at or below their forecast for them to be comfortable with staying on hold and or eventually push pulling rates down. But that that that's well down the road at this point, it seems. So we'll see how the numbers evolve, but things have been pretty solid. We'll, we get April GDP next week and the flash there was really strong. We'll see if that holds or not. Uh, that I mean, that could determine whether the bank goes or not, but uh, we'll see. We also get inflation next week, and, and again, my 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 estimate is is pretty high. The year over year comes down a full percentage point, uh, but the core numbers at the moment I have on on a three month annualized basis, I have them accelerating, and the short term core CPI metrics were specifically mentioned in the minutes uh, as as being an issue for the bank, and so if they go back above four percent, that I can't imagine that'll make them all that comfortable. Uh, even if they're, there's, I mean, it's pretty, pretty short term, but still, they won't like that one bit. Uh, ben, I got a question for you. Sure. A lot has been made about uh, the Canada growth story and Canada inflation story. A lot of it comes back to uh, some people's arguments: immigration. What's uh, what's your take on that? Uh, I think it's a good argument, um, and I, I don't know if there's enough research done on this. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure how to go about it at this point. But the, my my one of the things that we talk about, and 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 when I when I talk to my colleagues in economics, uh, is is how immigration impacts things on both the supply side and the demand side. So uh, the thesis on the on the on the government side, on the policymaker side, is uh, we need more people to come in the country because domestic population growth is slowing, which it is, uh, and and we need more people to help grow the economy, to help fill the the gaps in the labor force and the job market and all that. And yeah, definitely true. However, when you bring people into the country, the, the day they walk on in through the door, on the soil, whatever you want to say, uh, they need a house or they need somewhere to live, be it a house, a condo, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they need furniture. They need clothes. They need services. They need a doctor. They need a car or access to transit. They need every service that Canada provides. Those things are needed pretty much right up front. And so the demand side... Uh, I think it has a much more immediate impact than the supply side. Over time, uh, maybe they come with a job and they they contribute to supply pretty much right away. Uh, but if it's a whole family of people, they're they're demanding a lot more than that one person is supplying. And, and even on the supply side, I'd argue it, it's a kind of a longer term thing that 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 you get growth from. Uh, and so the timing mismatch on supply and demand tells you that when you really open the floodgates on immigration, like we have you have the potential to, to unleash a little bit more demand than you think. And so I think that that's part of what's going on. 
I think that the, just the lagged impact of rate hikes is also a big, big part of this. But uh, housing, for example, is, is probably the best point where like immigration flows are pretty clear in that there is that underlying bid there that will not quit no matter where rates are because there's just too many people. And, and, and prices may be off the highs, but they're not far off the highs. And all that we lost with 400 plus basis points of rate hikes was just the froth that was there. And, and prices are still expensive from a long-term perspective, and affordability is still pretty bad uh, in, in the major cities. So there are a few aspects there, uh, maybe worthy of further investigation. I, I believe the Bank of Canada will put something out that's meaningful on this in, in the next NPR. Uh, we'll, we'll find out in a few weeks. So what you're suggesting is this could be a potential perfect storm of lagged effects of the hikes and uh, a flood of immigration all at the same time, boosting demand and GDP, only to see it lag in the next 12, 4, 24 months, well, potentially. If, if immigration stays high, then that's a persistent yeah. positive. But you're you're just effectively creating more pain for the people that are exposed to rates and you're not going to be able to slow the immigration side of demand. Like that part won't go away. And so it, it, it has the potential to create problems. Yeah, for sure. And, and so uh, maybe unintended consequences of, of policymakers. I, I don't know, but I, again, very much worthy of, of further investigation here. Uh, immigration is essential for Canada for obvious reasons, but uh, the pace at which we can absorb people and bring them in without causing fluctuations on the economy and on inflation, and, and, and maybe overwhelming the, our ability to satiate demand is, is I mean, an open question. Yeah, yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I'm sure the next six months will be uh, just as exciting as the last six months. I mean, how do you think the second half evolves from a rate perspective? So let's say they hike in July or, or September. Like, uh, you, you think they're done after that? I mean, I thought they were done in January, I think, when we had this last conversation. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think they're going to be patient and watch the data. I, I think they're just going to keep watching the data. I don't think there's any reason for them to say they're done. Um, I don't think, like you suggested earlier, I, I don't think they do a conditional pause if after they go in July. I think they're going to be data dependent. Um, and I think they'll continue to be data dependent as long as the data's coming in the way it's coming in. Okay, I don't fair enough. Think. So, I mean, that's just creates a lot of uncertainty. Um, and I'd say the last few weeks has kind of created that uncertainty in the market too. I mean, just now, after the bank, you're starting to see people fade the flattening. But I'd say there was two weeks there where accounts were pretty quiet, um, other than like what they had to do from um, a day-to-day perspective. The general theme, I would say, has been quieter. So I think it just creates more uncertainty in the market, and which creates more volatility, to be honest. Uncertainty and volatility, my two favorite things. I think those are that, that's going to be with us for years, years and years and years. Uh, as, long as, as long as inflation's a problem. It's going to create uncertainty on the policy front, which then creates volatility in markets because there's two ways you can go. Uh, and, and higher rates will also help with that uh, volatility as well, I think. So when I first started at BMO, call it a year ago, terminal was a big topic. I don't think I'd heard the word terminal mentioned so often in my entire career as I did probably in, in the first week when I started. You know what that means? It means he was sitting too close to me. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> I think... Then we were talking terminal four percent, maybe four and a quarter, probably four percent. Now we're talking five, maybe five and a quarter. Where is it? <laughs> Where is it now? I wish if I only knew, I probably wouldn't be here. Uh, <laughs> own my own island. Uh, I, I again, like five percent is seems like a big number to me. 
as long as they keep the door open to Mora, I think that again that gives them a little bit of license to pause. Yeah, without, without saying telling pause. Yeah, exactly. And, and and if the Fed's also close to done, which they look like they are, they're on kind of a, a every other meeting profile here, and let's say they go twice more, it's hard to see the bank getting far north of five percent. Maybe it's five, five and a quarter. Uh, that that I just I again I just worry about the lag, the impact of hikes. But maybe maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the compounded growth rate of wages over whatever the five-year term of all these folks that have mortgages, maybe that's enough to be to, to, to overwhelm the, the the payment shock on a lot of the mortgages and it's not that much of an issue. Or maybe I just, I don't know, I don't know what all these these people in, at bars do when, on a Tuesday afternoon uh, where, where I've gone wrong in my life. And maybe there's just more money in this country than I think there is. And and uh, all the QE globally just created a lot more wealth than I think. Yeah. And then everyone thinks and, and we're much more resilient than 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 it appears. I've think. been saying that for the past 10 years looking at Toronto real estate. Um, exactly. A lot more money in this country than you think. So I think that's what uh, what the market and the Bank of Canada is grappling with right now. Trying to figure out where the equilibrium and all this is. There's no, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if there is an answer. Not not an easy one. And so like Terminal terminal will be whatever it doesn't really matter. I guess my, my, my question would be like, I don't really care how high rates go per se, but where do they end up when they start cutting again, how right. low do they end up going? Are we down to one or two or three, or is it even is it higher than that? Is it three and a half percent or something? If if rates get all the way up to like five and a half, let's say, or even six, go crazy, can they get below three on the other side of things? Like, wh- what kind of deep recession do you need to get there? Probably a pretty big one, I would think. And given the trajectory of things right now, that doesn't seem particularly likely. Not without some kind of crisis. Like I don't, I don't. I don't see a big imbalance in, in the economy right now. You, you can go like tech bubble. Tech obviously was that imbalance there. And you can you knew that it was an imbalance. You just didn't know when it was going to go bad. Uh, same with U.S. housing. You knew it was a problem. You just didn't know when it was going to go bad. And and pandemic was random event, whatever. Now, what is it? What's what's the big imbalance in the economy? I, I, I see one. The only thing I see that's meaningful is, is the U.S. fiscal situation. But I don't think that they're going to fix that anytime soon. So you're not going to go from a a 7% of GDP deficit to, to, to 4% overnight or 3% and, and cut all that growth there. So what else is going to cause it? I, I don't know. Maybe it's a banking crisis. Maybe it's something else. We'll, we'll see. That That's why they're black swans, I guess, because I'm not supposed to you know. don't see them coming. That's exactly it. Okay. Uh, all right. So let, let, let's wrap things up here. What, what What's your favorite trade idea at the moment? And if you have more than one, that's okay. My favorite trade idea right now is not fading the uh, not fading the flattening. Which would means, you, ha- would you have not- flattening on, though? Into month end, uh, it could see some flattening. Um, I don't mind tens bonds flattening into month end. Twos, tens, probably not. But tens bonds further up the curve at these like, yield levels and into the, the buying that I think we'll see at month end. I, I don't mind tens bonds flattening. Um, and again, like I, I think until we get a, a catalyst here, I think it's just going to be the pain trade of the summer. Um, what, what- so tens bonds, I, I don't mind. Two extensions to that. One, how, how's that 10s, 30s, Canada, US box? We're at like we're at like twenty three, twenty four today. I think it's twenty four. Yep. Yeah, no I, I do think we. I do personally think we retest that thirty level that we got to after the bank, uh, after the bank hiked. So um, I could see us floating back up there. And then again, like I think what we talked about around June one, Ben and I, um, at that point you're you're maybe risking ten to make thirty on that. So I, I don't think that's a, a terrible trade from that. So if, if we do get back up there, I don't mind that. Um, and but yeah, what, I think. What about Canada U.S. then? So just any any pick any point on the curve. I know you like the long end, so you can go there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. 
again, I, I think for the summer, if, if the theme is going to be uh, a lack of catalysts and the algos control the market, at least in Canada, they do. Um, so I cheaper Canada versus U.S. Um, again, I, I don't I don't mind being a little bit along the long end into, into month end um, versus the U.S. But aside from that, I just think the algos are going to um, drag Canada cheaper versus versus the U.S. if we uh, if we don't get that catalyst. All right, Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Much appreciated, and uh, I'll have you on again in less than six months, I hope. Thanks a lot for having me, Ben. Thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more episodes, visit bmocm.com slash markets plus. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns, Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com slash legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.